0: Well, welcome to our broadcast today to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. For the next 30 minutes, we're going to be studying the word of God together. We'll be in Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be talking in this session concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful, powerful, powerful foundation of the Christian faith that we have in resurrection. But before we begin, Listen to what the psalmist says. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to Him. I will be glad in the Lord. Amen. May my meditation be sweet to Him. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus, and we ask that the meditation and the musing And the studying today of the Word of God in this session, Lord, will be pleasing to you. Now, Holy Spirit, direct our hearts into the love of God. Grant us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, Lord. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, praise God. God is good all the time. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. All right, chapter 15, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Now, just for a momentary review, we've gone through the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians where Paul talked about the carnalities, the things in the church that were in error that needed to be corrected. The leadership of the church was not as spiritually mature as they should have been. Of course, it's a young church. And uh, so there was not the time necessary for full mature uh, development. And the Apostle Paul understand that he recognized that. But also him being the Apostle, and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially him being the the one who planted and started this church in Corinth, uh, needed to write this letter to correct the church and to instruct the leadership and how that they are to manage uh, this wonderful, wonderful body of Christ. Now, the Corinthian church was a church filled with a lot of wonderful, wonderful people, people who had come out of a sordid past, uh, were born again, baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ and had received the power of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so this was a church on the move, but it's a church that needed to be guided and directed. And so Paul took up the first 11 chapters to do that. And then beginning in chapter 12, he starts to talk. The Apostle Paul starts to talk about the spiritualities and he talks in chapters 12 13 and 14 concerning the gifts of the spirit and how that the love chapter, the 13th chapter is that glue, which binds the gifts together. We operate the gifts by love. Amen. These gifts are not to puff us up. These gifts are intended to edify uh, the church and also to reach uh, the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 15, we're still talking about spiritualities, but to me, the most important chapter and this entire book is this chapter that we're getting ready to study today, because this chapter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, forms the foundation for our Christian faith and our Christian belief. So this is very important. So we'll go ahead and begin. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse one. Notice Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which is. Ye also ye have received and wherein ye stand. A.T. Robinson says of this verse, the gospel, which I gospelized unto you. And I really like that. Whenever we preach the gospel, we are gospelizing the gospel. Amen. Just like when we go out to evangel. The gospel, we are evangelizing uh, the gospel. So we're really saying the same thing. Gospelizing, teaching, and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two says, by which also you are saved if, notice this, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. The gospel is received by faith. We have to receive it by faith, but we also have to walk in it by faith. We can't have just a one time acknowledgement that Jesus is Savior and Lord get baptized in water and then refuse to continue to walk in him. That that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a gospel that is believed, that we trust in, adhere to, rely upon And thereby uh, we continue and consecrate our lives to serve Christ in the gospel for the rest of our days while we're alive in here on earth. Amen. Verse three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures now. Paul is going to begin to talk here about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. If we're going to establish a truth, then we're going to have to have eyewitnesses. Well, Paul lists these eyewitnesses, and it's quite a list uh, that, uh, that Paul uh, writes in this letter. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas. Then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep and that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. James being the brother of the Lord Jesus, who was not a believer until after his resurrection and Jesus appearing to his brother, and James then became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Cephas being Peter, of course. And then the 500 brethren who Jesus appeared to at once. And then Paul writes and he says, but now the greater part, some have fallen asleep, but the greater part are, are alive unto this present day. I mean, the, uh, meaning the day that he wrote uh, this letter. And then in verse nine, he begins to talk about the grace of God. First, he has established his witness base and then he begins to talk about God's grace. Notice what he says in verse nine. For I am the least of the apostles that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted. I persecuted the church of God. But notice verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly that they all. Then they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. But going back to verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You, by the grace of God, are are what you are. You are not what you used to be, but you are what you are now through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He healed you and set you free from your past. And of course, I don't know what kind of sort of past uh, you had. I know what kind of sort of past I had. But now the Lord healed me of that. And now I'm free. So I am not going to be condemned. I am not going to be shamed by the world, the flesh or the devil concerning my past. Because my past has been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. God remembers my past, but he chooses not. Let me say it this way. God has not forgotten my past. He chooses not to remember it because of the blood of Christ that's been shed abroad and the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart uh, by uh, the gospel, by the Holy Ghost, which has been given to us. Praise God. Amen. So I'm free of my past. I still have the memories of my past, but I'm free because I've been healed. Amen. So the devil can't bring up an accusation concerning my past because all of that has been washed away in the blood of Jesus. Amen. And I want you to remember that. If you think about your past and you're condemned about it, uh, you feel shame concerning that. Just remember this. God has healed you. He has set you free. He's saved you, cleansed you, sanctified you, justified you. So you tell that devil where to go. Amen. He is not. He has no power over you now that you are found in Christ. Praise the Lord. All right. Let's talk about the vital truth of the resurrection of Christ. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith also is vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. That's a very important verse of Scripture, verse 17. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, verse 20, couple verse 17 with verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Why is the resurrection of Christ so important? Because if it was not for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would not be a Christian today. There would be no church today. If there was anything in the world today called Christian, it would be a very small, insignificant sect of the Jewish faith ostracized by them. And maybe through the centuries had ceased to exist. But because Jesus rose from the dead, because he breathed upon the 11 in the upper room the night of his resurrection and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And because he empowered them and the 120 on Pentecost, 50 days afterward, we now have a church that is glorified by Christ, a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I'm not talking about things that are called church. I'm talking about the church, the called out ones. And it's all because Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. And you, in virtue of the fact that you are a born again child of God, you are a partaker of that first resurrection. And I say, praise God for it. Wow. I'm telling you, oh, that just blessed my soul. Praise God. And I hope it blessed you, too. All right. Now, let's talk about the first fruits of the resurrection. Verse 21 For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that it is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So in this portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul covers the entire plan of God, beginning from the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, gallowing all the way through the age of the church to the rapture of the church, to the coming of the Lord, through the millennium unto the eternal state. Sin and death will be destroyed and removed from ever. Now, this word destroyed, I want us to understand this word destroyed comes from the Greek word katorgeo, And it means this. It means to abolish. It means to cease. It means to be destroyed. It means to do away with. It means to uh, vanish away. It means to put down. It means to make void. Sin and death have been made void in your life and will be made void in your life. In the end, sin and death will be forever removed and extinguished from this universe. So that's what you and I are partakers of. Amen. We're partakers of this first resurrection. Oh, I tell you, this is a time to rejoice and to be glad. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is working all things after the counsel of his own will in your heart. And he will do what he said he will do. He will do it. Praise God. All we have to do is just continue to stand by faith and we'll see it all done. All Everything that God has promised, he will bring to pass. Amen. All right, now let's look at the advantage of the resurrection. Verse 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead not rise at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, verse 29, and this is something that Paul is not commending. This is not something that Paul practiced. He is merely making a statement to the fact that there were those in the early church age that practice what has come to be known as vicarious baptism. In other words, people being baptized for dead, for dead people have gone on before. And of course, the early church condemned this practice because uh, it was practiced by the part of the church that were heretics, the Gnostics. Amen. So the early church condemned this practice and forbid the churches. Amen to participate in anything that had to do with vicarious baptism. Now, this practice is enjoined today by different cults, and but now you and I are we we are not if we're going to be. Foundational believers in Christ Jesus. We're going to stay away from vicarious baptism. Amen. So if you're visiting in a church, maybe you're on vacation or something, and the man behind the pulpit begins to talk about baptism for the dead, they're holding a baptism for the dead service. Well, then you start looking for an exit. Amen. Because that's not the kind of church that you want to be involved in. Amen. Praise God. All right. Now, let's talk about the glory of the resurrection. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And there's a big misunderstanding today that the body that is laid in the grave or the body that is changed at the rapture is the same body. It's not. Amen. You and I are going to receive new bodies. Amen. Now, there'll be bodies similar. You're going to recognize your aunts and your uncles and your grandpa and your grandma and all of your family members and friends that were born again that died. Amen. Before the rapture of the church. And even those who are alive and remain that are caught up together with the Lord, you're going to recognize them, but their bodies are going to be changed. Amen. There will be a similarity, but there will be a big difference. Notice Paul says in verse 37 now. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. Now, Paul is using here an analogy or a metaphor of grain or seed. You have the seed of Christ on the inside of you. Amen. You have resurrection power on this inside of you. You have been born again. You are a child of God. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so when you are changed, When you are raised from death or you are changed, that same seed that is in you is going to produce the full harvest of immortality. But it's going to be immortality fashioned like unto Christ's immortality. Amen. Praise God. And then Paul goes on and he says this, but God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. Notice the new body, the body that you're going to receive at resurrection is the body that he pleases, that God pleases. Amen. So, you know, if you're not 36, 24, 36, or if you're not uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything like that, uh, don't expect to have that kind of a body when you get (laughs) resurrected. Amen. It's going to be a body like Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Verse 39. Just joking. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of beasts, another of fish and another of birds that are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Amen. Praise God. So what will our resurrection body be like? Well, Paul tells us. It'll be incorruptible. It'll be glorious. It'll be powerful. It will be a spiritual body. It will be the same type of body that Jesus has, except for the scars in his hands and in his feet and the gaping wound in his side. And I tell you, that is this is sacred to me. And it should be sacred to you. Because these are the scars that Jesus will carry with him. The marks in his hands and feet and the gaping wound in his side throughout all of eternity. Amen. These are the wounds that at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus returns, that they're going to see. Amen. Praise God. Think about that for just a moment. My sin caused those wounds in his hand and in his side. But because he loved me and because he loved you, he was willing to bear those marks throughout eternity to bring you into the Father's house. And I say, praise God. Amen. Verse 45 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. Amen. Notice that that Paul refers to the Lord Jesus as the last Adam. What does that mean? Well, that means that there's not a plan B when it came to redemption. That God didn't have to think up what he was going to do. It was already a fact in his mind. Amen. And so when he fashioned the plan of redemption, there was no chance. Amen. In giving to his son the responsibility and the of executing his plan of redemption, that there was no opportunity, no chance at all that this plan would fail. God, who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, knew that what his son would do. And Jesus in his humanity, he had a great uh, trial up in the Mount of Olives. Where the anxiety and the pressure of what he was, begin- what he knew was going to come shortly to pass—not the torture, not the pain—but the fact that he would be made sin for us who knew no sin. That's the thing, and that his human spirit would be separated from the life and the nature of God. As the Passover lamb, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That is what Jesus struggled over. That's what the pressure of of this that he was getting ready to do was so great upon him that uh, sweat was mixed with blood. But yet he won victory over this because he said, Father, it is not my will, but Thy will be done. And if it is your will for me to drink this cup, so be it. Oh, I tell you, we serve a lovely Jesus. We serve a faithful Lord and Savior. Praise God. Hallelujah. So he is the last Adam. There'll never be another one. So the last Adam came and undid the work of the first Adam. And through his resurrection, he created a new Adam. And who is that new Adam? The new Adam is the church. Hallelujah. The new man, Paul talks about him. In the book of Ephesians. Now notice here in verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust and as is the heavenly man. So also are those who are heavenly. You're a heavenly creature. Now you're a heavenly creation. I know you have an earthly body. You and I both do. But this corruption is going to put on incorruption one day. Praise God. You have heaven working in you. You have royal priesthood blood flowing through your veins. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Praise God. All right, let's talk about the mystery and power of the first resurrection or the resurrection of Christ. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Amen. See, all who die in Christ, all who die in Adam will will never, never inherit, never inherit the kingdom of God. You used to be in Adam. But now through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving him as Savior and Lord, you are no longer in Adam. Who are you? You are in Christ. So the next time the devil brings up your past, you just stop right there. Stop what you're doing. Amen. And just say to the devil, devil, I used to be in Adam, but I'm no longer in him. I am in Christ. Now your body is still fashioned after Adam, but you're getting ready to put on, Amen, the body of Christ. Praise God, Amen. Notice what Paul wrote. This is in the sixth chapter. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But now, Paul says, now you're cleansed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified by the blood of Christ and by the spirit of the living God. Amen. That's what you are now. You used to be those things, but you're not those things anymore. Amen. You are the new man. Praise God. And you have put on the new man. Glory to God. All right. Now, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Notice that all believers, whether previously dead or alive at the time of the rapture will be changed. And isn't it interesting how Paul uses this term, twinkling of an eye? It was used by the Greeks. Amen. This word translated twinkling of an eye. It's uh, the Greek word ripto. It was used by the Greeks: flapping of a wing, buzz of a gnat, quivering of a heart, a harp, or the twinkling of a star. Amen. Just think about that. Next time you're outside, you're looking up at the night sky and you see a star twinkling of a star. That's how quick. Amen. You're going to be changed from incorruption to I mean, from from corruption to incorruption. And notice that Paul also said at the last trump, the last trumpet call. God is calling now. He's calling out to the world. Every time the gospel is preached, that's God's call to the sinners to come to Christ. Notice, remember what Jesus said. Come all ye that labor and heavy laden. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So every time the gospel preached every day, whether on Sunday or during the week, that's God's call. That's his call to the sinners to come. But there's coming a last trumpet blast at that last trump. Amen. That's when you and I are going to be summoned up to be with Jesus. Praise God. Verse 53 says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And all of this will pass away. Remember the words of John. I'm sure you've read them before. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men." And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. The sting of death, my brother and my sister, will forever cease to exist. And I say, thank God. And that's how Paul ends this chapter. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Reminds me of the psalmist that says this. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Aren't you glad that you're a part of that judgment that's coming? And of the resurrection that you and I will both participate and partake of. Praise God, amen. Father, we thank you for the word today. Let the word go forth, Father God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.
1: Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your son, Jesus Christ.